Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. Cameron and I are going to tackle two topics in this episode, one that's timely and one that's of perpetual interest, at least to me. First, we'll talk about the season of Lent, in particular how Grace observes this season of the church calendar, especially focusing on the Ash Wednesday service that marks its beginning. Then we'll shift gears and talk about Grace's DNA, the longings for more grace, more depth, and more community that brought us together as a church and keep bringing us together day by day. The season of Lent is upon us, and that brings back memories because this time last year on the commentary, Cameron and I were talking about what we were giving up for Lent and also what we were adding for Lent as well. So we were talking about negative disciplines and also positive ones that we were trying to cultivate during that period. So we thought we would take a moment and check in once again as Lent is ongoing. And we're tempted to give up talking about Lent for Lent this year because (laughs) I think we talked quite a bit about it last time. But I just wanted to kind of revisit the topic and touch that for a moment. So, uh, Grace, we're, we're not uh, sticklers for this stuff. We kind of see the church calendar as a helpful tool for focusing our attention throughout the year. But there's not a huge emphasis on, you know, what are you giving up for Lent or anything like that. But you may remember that last year, I made a big deal out of giving up the news for Lent. Oh, yeah. And one of the big realizations was how much I didn't miss it. So I didn't actually go back after Lent and, and start, you know, catching up on everything. And so for the past year, I've more or less been living the way I did through Lent, which is not zero news consumption, but I would say uh, like pretty small levels of intentional news consumption. And when I do consume it, I I try to make it more like long form, not, Mm. you know, hot take of the day. Although I will say recent events in the world stage have made it difficult to stay away. I think that's really cool though, that, that your Lent, choice your lenten choice could stick with you for so long because i mean that just tells me that it was maybe a, it was a good choice you know it was something something necessary or at least beneficial that that could become a habit and stick with you right right yeah and, and i think i've i've seen other people who've had similar experiences who say maybe like an ideal mm-hmm. uh lenten discipline would be the kind of thing that you might aspire to on a permanent basis and so um, I'm I'm happy to have finally at least had that work for me once. You know? <laughs> well, that's awesome. I wanted to talk a little bit about Ash Wednesday. Yeah. I, by the time this episode is live, I think we will have passed it a little ways. Yeah. And of course, Ash, Ash Wednesday is sort of the beginning of of Lent, but I don't know too much about it historically. Is is that all it is? Is it just a day to mark the beginning of Lent or is there more to it? I know that usually we do a service 
there's all the stuff with the ashes and sure and uh, you know grace doesn't do the ashes or at least we haven't in yeah. recent years. so maybe we could talk about that yeah so ash wednesday is the beginning of lent and so lent is like a 40 day sort of period that that is a reminder of the wilderness wandering of the children of Israel and also the 40 days in the wilderness that, that Jesus spent. And we mark Ash Wednesday primarily for that reason, uh, to see it as kind of that beginning point. There is a tradition that goes along with it of the imposition of ashes. And there there is a little bit of, of interesting lure behind that because the ashes are meant to be uh, the ashes of the palms from the previous Palm Sunday. Right. So I think realistically, people who do this just buy the ashes from you know the church <laughs> supply store. But <laughs> but I I don't know if if there's a supply chain where where they're recollecting Palm Sunday fronds and <laughs> and burning them. But but at least traditionally that was the idea. Um, so I I. <laughs> Yeah, it's penitential, you know, mm-hmm. it, it has the quality of, uh, you know, in scripture, you would wear sackcloth and cover your head in ashes when you're mourning. Yeah. Uh, Mordecai does that when he's interceding for Israel in the book of Esther. So that's where it comes from. Yeah. And I, th- I think too of uh, dust, you know, sure. ashes and dust, I maybe it's not the same thing, but we frequently hear that passage, you know, from dust you came to dust you shall right. return. I mean, that's that's what I remember that them saying growing up when I was getting the, the ashes on my forehead. And and it was a time to re- reflect on our mortality right? as much as it is a time to reflect on on our sin and our, our wandering in the wilderness. It's a time to remember, yeah, we came from dust and we will die again and return to the dust. Right. So you would see in uh, our churches, in PCA churches, you know, there'd be some that wouldn't have an Ash Wednesday service at all. There'd be some where you would have an Ash Wednesday service and they might put ashes on your head. And we're kind of in the middle where we have the Ash Wednesday service. We don't do the imposition of ashes, um, not condemning anyone who does. Uh, I think for, for me, it's, it's one of those areas sort of like, uh, I don't know, foot washing or something like that, where I'm always concerned about setting up any sort of semi-sacramental actions that, <laughs> that uh, you know, I, I have a little bit of the Puritan in me when, when it comes to that sort of thing. But, uh, but yeah, but we do at least mark the occasion and our Ash Wednesday service is, is actually similar to what we do on Christmas Eve in the sense that it's a service comprised primarily of scripture readings and those scripture readings follow a trajectory of telling the story of sin. So we look at uh, five points in scripture that kind of give us, you know, the, the reality of sin, the consequences of sin, but then we also look at the solution to sin in Christ and, and uh, how scripture sort of deals with our sin. So, it's it's an evening where we reflect on our sinfulness in anticipation of this this period of of looking forward to Easter, looking forward to Christ's death and resurrection. I will confess I at this point do not know if 
I'm giving up anything for Lent or what or any or adding on any new practices. But have you thought about it at all? I know you mentioned the news thing. So the news is kind of uh, loud right now with world events going on. That's kind of difficult. But do you have anything else going on in mind or slightly different question as well? Is there anything that you think Grace as a church could be thinking about at at this time in 2022, as opposed to say 2020, you know, sure, 2021. Sure. I think, you know, I would say that although my, you know, giving up news was a really successful Lenten experiment last year, the thing that I am happiest about was the positive discipline, not the negative. And so if you remember, uh, I was giving up the news, but I was replacing that time in my schedule with readings from the church fathers And I I liked really the emphasis on what I was adding to the the, the sort of void that I'd created (laughs) by by getting rid of something else. And and that's really the the pattern I think that I would urge people to consider that whatever you're looking to um, get rid of, also think about the positive that that might fill it. And I have a positive to recommend. Because it's the one that we've been emphasizing for uh, a while now, since the beginning of the year, which is uh, Be Thou My Vision, this liturgy for daily worship. This would be a great time to start making that part of your daily routine. So if you are asking yourself, you know, like, what can I give up for Lent? Um, I don't know if it matters what that specific thing is, but give up the thing that creates the, the window that you can fill it with this daily worship. Set aside some time for prayer, for scripture reading, and whatever you need to give up in order to make that a reality, you know, find that thing and, and give that thing up. And, and Lord willing, this becomes one of those Lenten disciplines that becomes a, an all-of-life discipline. I think I just heard you say that I need to give up Netflix in the in the evenings because that's probably the one thing that keeps Jenny and I from getting to our, well, our reading. Right. I mean, I think if if we all gave up Netflix for Lent, we would be able to keep like monastic hours right. with the time that that we reclaim. Well, whatever it is that that uh, you give, it might be a helpful way to think about it. You know that that if I want to carve out time to do daily worship what is the thing that i would need to give up to make that happen and give it up for lens Well, we've been doing this podcast, The Commentary, for about a year now, which is kind of crazy to me. I think this might be episode 54, 55, 56, I think. 56, okay, yeah. So it's been it's been over a year, and I think that's wonderful. I'm enjoying it. I hope that there are still some people out there listening, <laughs> <laughs> and it's not just uh, the two of us. But one thing I wanted to talk about sort of in celebration is... The uh, I guess the mission statement 
of grace as a church. Would you call it the mission statement? Yeah. And on the website, I think it's called the DNA of, of grace. I like the way that you phrased that. And that's these three words that we focus on as a church, which is more grace, fittingly, more depth, and more community. And I, th- I think is the whole phrase, grace is a church where people seeking those things, you know, they can, they can find more grace, more depth, and more community and start sharing their gifts with the world, right? Is that right? That's more or less correct, yeah. (laughs) It's uh, grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I was was pretty close. Well, I I wanted to talk about this in a little more depth, and especially those three words. Why why grace, depth, and community? Sure. They're they're sort of common words in the church on the one hand, but on the other hand, I know they're, they're very deep and, and important words. So I thought we could just walk through them and, and you could explain some of your thinking behind this statement. Well, I should start by saying that I'm one of those people that really hates mission statements because okay. they do tend to be like meaningless pieces of, of marketing boilerplate. Yeah. I mean, how many mission statements can you think of that say basically nothing? Exactly. And so I've always resisted the idea, certainly of a church having a mission statement. It it seems odd. And a lot of people would say, well, isn't the Great Commission the mission statement of the church (laughs) or something like that? But it occurred to me, though, that that mission statements don't have to be empty and, and meaningless, that you could actually have a mission statement that does encapsulate the unique mission and identity of your church. And so... That's what we tried to do was was have a statement that brought together the core of who we were, that if you could unpack each part of it, it would reveal layers, you know, there'd be stuff to it. And and so that's what we did. And and we were trying to tell our story, you know, you know identify who we were and what made us unique, but also give ourselves like an easy to remember statement that we could unpack in that way, you know, that you could easily remember the things that matter to us. So um, we emphasize more grace, more depth, and more community, but there's also another structure in that mission statement, which is seeking, finding, and sharing. Yeah. You know, people who are seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. And so Grace, depth, and community, more grace, more depth, more community. That's our DNA. Like that's kind of the, the, the stuff that makes us who we are. And the seeking, finding, sharing is, is the process by which we find what we're looking for and also share it with other people around us who are looking for it as well. And the word maybe that is the most important in all of this is actually a word that is not in the statements and it's the word longing because when we talk about more grace and more depth and more community, those are longings. We long for more grace, more depth and more community. And we try to make a point of saying we long for them. That doesn't mean we have them or that we've cornered the market on them. You know, we're not saying grace is the church that has more grace, more depth and more community. And if you need these things come here because we've just got this, this overabundance. No, 
what brought us together is that we didn't have those things. The reason why this group of people kind of came together and stayed together is that we were longing for more grace. Uh, we found ourselves in a community where there was a lot of religion, certainly no lack of churches, a lot of religiosity, but, but with that comes a lot of moralism. And you find yourself surrounded by good people who are convinced that they're good people and they're just striving to be good people. And that's moralism. That's not the gospel. And so ironically, it seemed to us that our city needed more grace. Even though we had plenty of religion, we didn't need more religion. We needed more grace. And that's what we were looking for. We're longing to find more of that. Um, we were longing for more depth as well, because one of the things that goes with a highly churched area is that, you know, anytime you have a lot of agreement among people. The hard questions get papered over with easy answers because there's nobody to push back. There's no need to think too hard about those questions. And, and that was something that it was tough for us as well, you know, because we knew that those, those questions were out there. And so we were longing for a deeper engagement with those things. And also we believe, you know, scripture is God's revelation and it is, alien to us in a lot of ways as sinners. And so when the Bible becomes too easily accommodated and, and we begin to act as if the teaching of the triune God is basically what we would have come up with ourselves as good people, you've got a problem. And maybe you're not really dealing with the, the depth of scripture. And so that desire for more grace and that desire for more depth brought us together. And and more community is the same. And and community is maybe the trickiest because there's literally not a church that, that isn't sort of a community, you know, and community is a, is a huge buzzword in culture as well. But what we mean by community is, is not the same thing as what the church as a community means. You know, usually we think of community more like affinity group. You know, community is like a club. It's a bunch of people who are like-minded, who get together because they agree on stuff and they stay together for as long as they agree on stuff. But the kind of community that the gospel creates isn't like that. You know, it's a community that has a structure and an authority that comes from God. It's a community where there are responsibilities that we have to one another, where we remain in community, whether we agree or not. We seek a unity amongst our very diverse members. And so that's the kind of community that we were longing for, not the community of the clubhouse or the affinity group, but real Christian community where difference comes together and finds unity in Christ. So longing for those things brought us together. And when you come together with longings, uh, God is gracious and helps you find some of what you're longing for. And so what we found was that we were, we were finding these things. And as we found them, we also had a desire to share them because we were surrounded by people who were longing for the same things, you know, who felt the same needs that we did and, and had the same like sense of where the gaps were. And so we just want to share grace with those people. I like how those three words are sort of mutually reinforcing mm. in the sense that it seems to me that you, you can't really find grace, say, 
without depth and community and you can't really find community, true community, like you're talking about without the grace of the gospel sure. and the kind of depth. And, you know, they all, they all go together and they, and they help one another. And I can't imagine them being apart. Yeah. I, there's also a really interesting thing where they really are things that are like unique contributions that, our reformed theology when it's lived brings to the table. There is like no greater source of grace than the gospel of grace as exemplified in Westminster confession. I mean, if you're looking for more grace, you know, a plan of salvation that insists that God saves sinners period, you, you literally cannot have more grace in the equation than that. Uh, you get more depth as well because this is a, a way of reading scripture that does not turn a blind eye to the hard stuff, you know, that doesn't pretend the mysteries aren't mysterious, that doesn't pretend the things God reveals haven't been revealed, you know, that, that is really grappling as, as best we can to, to be honest about the, the deep things that are revealed in scripture and community is the same in our view of the church, there's a real emphasis on, on New Testament community. And I agree. I think they all go together and they are all longings that Reformed theology speaks uniquely to. But you've got to have a way of, of talking about them where people who are longing for these things can recognize their own longings in the way you're talking. Like no one is walking down the street telling themselves, I long for, you know, the benefits of reformed theology. Right. You know, you, you would have to know what it was first. And if you knew what it was, you know, you, you either get it or you don't. And so I think you've got to have a way of talking that resonates with people. And so this was our way of, of sharing like what we love with people who, who need it too in language that they can relate to because it's, it's the language we related to. So what do you mean when you say finding your way or finding their way, you know, so yeah. it's, it's, it's a church for people longing and we have these, you know, we have grace community and depth, but then, but then presumably we're finding our way and sharing our gifts with the world. What, what is this way and why gifts? Yeah. So if you think about it, you know, in the Westminster Confession, when it talks about sanctification, it acknowledges there's a progressive aspect. You know, it happens more and more. And I think you can look at the way the Spirit works in individual lives and see that same quality. You know, the my longings are similar but different to yours. And what I'm finding is similar but different to what you're finding, which is okay. You know, God is at work in both of us, but in different ways. And so we try to acknowledge that, that we've come together seeking and we're finding, but we're not all finding exactly the same thing at the same time. We're all kind of on that journey. And so it's not just a question of like finding the way, but it's also a question of finding your way. So, so how do you uh, apply yourself to discipleship? How do you find the unique calling that God has placed in your life? And as a community, these are questions that, that we try to facilitate and help you with. You know, we don't necessarily know. I can't as a pastor say, well, these are what your gifts are, and this is how God wants you to use them. 
but what I can do and what the elders can do and, and, and your brothers and sisters in Christ can do is, is help you find those things and find your way in using them, find what your unique contribution might be. And so that's the way we tend to approach it. Not so much we've got a list of needs and we're going to plug you into those things, but rather you have gifts and we want to help you find them and share them and share them with the world. So we do believe that we have unique callings. Some of us have gifts and want to use those gifts to serve one another in the church. Uh, But we also want to use our gifts to serve one another in the city, in the larger world. And so we recognize that God gives us what he gives us to share it. And we want to share it as generously as possible. So what that sharing will look like will vary. Like sometimes it's it's literally sharing the gospel with people, like sharing grace with people. Uh, but sharing grace could also be serving them, like sharing materially with them. It could be, uh, you know, helping them find their way. You know, there's a lot of ways it could look depending on the needs. But the important thing is is that we're seeking to use what God has given us to help others and to serve others. I think that's really wonderful. And I, I especially appreciate the emphasis on the finding. We've talked about this before, but sometimes Christians or churches can, can get really excited about the, the having and then the sharing. You know, yes. We have the truth yes. and the way and the life. And now y'all go out and share it with the world. And there's, there's not, a patience to help individuals find their individual way following Jesus, of course, together, but, but that unique way and, and a process too, you know, you say it's, it's a, it's a matter of beginning to find your way, you know, it's not like find the thing and go, but acknowledging that sanctification, like you said, it is a process that we're, we're doing together. Right. Certainly for the, for the benefit of the world, but I do yeah. think that that one of the things that churches can be guilty of is asking people to share what they've never found. Yeah. And it's not unusual to find people who are, you know, they're they're part of the church, they're active in the church, but they have essentially a moralistic view of salvation. I mean, they may use language of salvation by grace, but functionally they're moralists. And, and of course, moralists are the ones who are always quickest to do their duty. And if one of their duties is to share the gospel, they're going to go out there and share it. But it, it's not unheard of for people to be on the front line of sharing the gospel, but not actually know Christ themselves. And that's something we, we want to not put the cart before the horse. So if anything, at Grace, there's almost a, a, an emphasis on not sharing until you're finding. And that may sound counterintuitive, but, but the, the reality is that when you're actually finding, you don't need a lot of training and encouragement to share. You know, you think about the woman at the well and the fact that she goes straight from the presence of Jesus into the city and talking about Jesus without first having received training and how to do that. She doesn't need it because she's found what she was looking for. And so our emphasis is on the finding not because we don't care about the sharing, of course we do, but but we, we believe that the sharing 
comes inevitably and most naturally from from like the real finding and that if we rush you through to the sharing it's actually possible to miss finding what it was you're longing for and that's what leads to burnout that's what leads to you know churches filled with moralists Mm -hmm. and so it has been important for us to keep our focus on finding what we're longing for now you point out something interesting, which is the one end of the spectrum where there's a huge emphasis on sharing whether you found or not. But I think there's also on the other end of that spectrum, a huge emphasis on seeking whether you're finding or not. Yeah. You know, and, and I think especially now there's a way of talking about spirituality and Christianity that, that values uh, perpetual seeking and really you know, questions or brackets, the idea of ever finding anything with any kind of certainty. And, and there's a way of constantly seeking that, that you can talk about it where it sounds so pious, but it seems to me very alien to the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would be perpetual seekers and never find what God has put in our hearts to long for. Right. I mean, Christ himself says, knock and the door will be open to you, you know, seek and you will find, I mean, it reminds me of eschatology. You know, the, we, we say that the Christian life is a matter of being already and not yet. So surely in this life, we, we have these longings that are truly met in a sense by Christ, by the spirit, by this community and all these things. And, and I, I found that to be true at Grace, you know, which is one reason I've I've been so thankful. And yet it's not a complete longing and there's always more longing and there's always more finding to be done. So, so yeah, I, I guess I appreciate that there's room for both. Yeah, that's a good, I mean, the eschatological angle is a good one to take. There's a, a quote of Tolkien's where he talks about human longing and links it to a longing for the garden, you know? And, and I think in that sense, there's a, almost a melancholy, like a longing for what was lost. And that's certainly, I think of, of, you know, Pascal talking about the, I guess what we call now, like the God shaped hole kind of thing, but that sense of the, we've lost something as a result of sin and we have this longing for restoration. Uh, You know, we never find rest until we find our rest in him as Augustine's prayer went. But, um, but the eschatological points to, the, the positive sense of longing that is really a longing for glory. You know, it's, it's not a longing for the garden, but it's a longing for what the garden might have been, if not for sin, you know, the, the, the glory that might've been attained to. And so that is a sense in which I, I think, we want to be really honest, you know, there are longings that we have that certainly will not be fulfilled in this church or in this life. And some of our longings are given to us to drive us forward in hope and anticipation, uh, not for easy fulfillment in this life. So, yeah, I mean, I think, again, longing is the key in, in reflecting on and thinking about those longings is really at the heart of our identity as believers. 
isn't it also at the heart of Lent <laughs> to bring us full circle? Yeah. No, so that's maybe, true. maybe, you know, finish a, an episode on, on both of these topics, uh, unlocking it, it seems fitting to me. Yeah, no, I think it really does. You know, we, we give things up for a season and we long for their restoration. Uh, we have this life as a kind of wilderness where we long for a restoration of face-to-face communion with our creator. That's all the time we have for now. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the commentary, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org. Thank you.